What's up, y'all? It's Russ Parr, and welcome to the Russ Parrcast action-packed show today. TMZ's Harvey Levin's going to be on, Dr. Mel with Dr. Mel's Medical Minute. Judge Lynn Toller's going to be here. Armstrong Williams, what's your point? We're going to go at it. Me from the left, of course, him from the right. But all you got to do is just listen. Here we go. Well, on the phone line, you guys have seen him all over the place, People's Court, and of course, TMZ. Um, you always see him, he's holding that cup that will go into the Smithsonian whenever he retires. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Levin, uh, who is also the, um, uh, he's got this all new special on TMZ, investigates the 9-11, the fifth plane. Uh, how you doing, Harvey? I'm good. I'm good, Russ. How you doing? Doing great, man. The fifth plane. An all new special on TMZ actually is going to be on Fox News about uh, 9-11, the fifth um, it's pretty significant that there was a fifth plane, but no one's ever heard about that. What is the, what is the deal with that? Well, you know, there was an, there was a 767 that was supposed to take off, uh, from JFK, uh, to LAX at 9 AM on September 11th. Um, this plane, uh, a lot happened uh, while the plane was at the gate and as it taxied to the runway. And enough happened that the FBI was alarmed enough that that night they interviewed, they went to a hotel where all the flight attendants were. They interviewed each of them and even took them to a lineup to see if they could identify four passengers in particular. So a lot happened on the plane. Um, you will hear the flight attendants and the pilot describe seven passengers that aroused their suspicion. But what ultimately happened, this plane would have taken off. Um, normally at that time, uh, the pilot uh, who we interviewed said, look, um, normally there's one or two planes ahead of me when I get to the runway. This time, for some reason, there were 10 planes, which was really unusual. So they were in line for takeoff when they were called back after uh, the World Trade Center got hit. Mm-hmm. And when they came back to the gate and the airport was being evacuated, everybody got off the plane. They checked. Nobody was on that airplane. And um, they locked the door. 20 minutes later, uh, some people on the ground saw two uniformed people running in the cabin area. So authorities came on the plane. Those people were gone. But there was a hatch that goes from the belly of the airplane mm-hmm. up into the passenger cabin that hatch was open oh and the fbi was really alarmed by this and the pilot um was then told by the chief pilot that the 767 parked next to his uh, which was not scheduled to take off they found box cutters in the seat pockets in first class wow and the four people in particular on his plane were in first he was told those box cutters they believed were meant for his airplane. And the pilot thinks that what happened was people, some people on the ground, we don't know who they are, may have come up through that hatch oh. at the, from the tarmac into the cabin to possibly try and remove possible incriminating evidence. But when you hear all of it, when you hear what the flight attendants observed, what those passengers were saying to them, what the observations were, what happened after they got off the plane. Um, All of the people on that plane and others we interviewed believe that that plane was targeted. So let me let me ask you. So do you believe that there was a mistake made by maybe potential terrorists? They put the box cutters on the wrong plane. 
That's what the pilot says. It was directly, it was a plane right, a 767 right next to theirs. And there was, the tail number was just one digit off. I think his was 6000 and this one next wow. to his was 6001. And they believe, because that other plane wasn't even scheduled to take off at that time. So, so that's what, that's what the pilot believes. And it kind of aligns with mm-hmm. why were these two uniform people, you know, why did they come in through the hatch? after the airport was being evacuated. I mean, a lot of people thought Kennedy itself might be a target. So why were these guys on this airplane? Let me ask you this. Now, they have, obviously, they put the box cutters in a first-class pouch. Why didn't they just look at the, uh, you know, the flight records and find out who were who were the people that were supposed to sit in those seats? Well, I'm assuming they did. And, and you know, look, they they seem to have some issue with this. I, I shouldn't say seem. They did uh, enough so that they took these flight attendants to the Port Authority to see if they could identify these people. So, look, I mean, we don't know what happened to them. We have absolutely no idea. The FBI isn't telling us. They didn't tell the, the crew. Um, they, they told nobody. We even filed a freedom of information request and they didn't respond. Hmm. So we don't know what happened to those people on the plane. There were, hmm. the FBI mentioned seven hmm. and they said there were four in particular they wow. were interested in, but they've never said what they did with those people. Were they, hmm. you know, did they decide Are they in custody or whatever normal, where, or normal passengers? They just will not say where was, where was the destination of that plane? Los Angeles. Oh, so it was going to be full of fuel. Right. Wow. This is fascinating. And it was was right at the time that this was all happening. Wow. It's all news uh, special on TMZ investigates 9-11. The fifth plane is going to be on tonight on Fox, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Harvey, this is fascinating. I got to ask you, what drew you to this story? Because I know you're you're an investigative reporter and and an attorney. No, I'll tell you. I'm I'm, I'm happy to tell you. Well, I went to college at UCSB, mm-hmm. and one of my very close friends became a flight attendant for United. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years after uh, 9-11, I had dinner with her, and she told me this story. She was a flight attendant on United mm-hmm. 23, and my jaw dropped as I listened to her. She's never flown again uh, professionally. She she was terrified wow. after this. And she told me the story. And at the time, there was nothing I could do with it. And we had dinner six or seven months ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, Barb, do you remember this story? And she just scoffed at me and said, what do you mean remember it? She said, it like defines my life now. And mm. I said, now I've got, there's something I can do with it. So we've been working on this for six months and, you know, getting the interviews with the crew members, the pilot, the United Dispatcher, a, a member of the 9-11 Commission and, and others. And um, we just, you know, decided to to follow it. And, um, and you know, you guys can judge for yourself. Yeah. Harvey Levin, of course, I used to watch you on a people, People's Court. It got canceled. Uh I know you got a lot of balls in the air, a lot of stuff that you're doing. Uh, Was that expected? Well, I mean, let me tell you something. People's court has, I have been, 
this is, uh, you know, this is how old I am. I have been on that show for 39 years. That's how many seasons the show has had. This is the 26th season of the second run of the show. And there were 13 seasons with Judge Wapner. So, you know, this has just been an amazing, What's been amazing, you don't look like you've aged. That's, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're smoking Uh, or drinking, man, but whatever it is, you got to keep doing it. Uh, listen, well, thank you. I pre- Harvey, I really appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, Harvey Levin, oh, of course. It's my pleasure. Yeah, he's the executive um, uh, producer of The um, the Fifth Plane. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time with us today, sir. Hey, Russ, it's my pleasure. All right, take care now. We'll see you. All right, she's here. It's time now for Dr. Mel's Medical Minute. Good morning. How you doing, Dr. Mel? Fantastic. How are you, Russ? I'm just fine. Listen, it's been all over the news. The Supreme Court kind of struck down Roe versus Wade. And women are, are scared all over the country regarding abortion rights and women's rights. Uh, Where are we at with that right now? I mean, is it just in some states? Can women still get the assistance that they need? So it is in uh, several states, mostly southern and midwestern states, where either abortion has been made illegal or severe restrictions have been placed um, as to what timing you can have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And the problem is this, there is reason for concern uh, because abortion is healthcare and generally most if not all healthcare decisions are a private conversation between an individual and their doctor. And pregnancy has very real physical and mental health consequences for women. We've seen the rate of pregnant women dying in childbirth climbing mm-hmm. in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, restrictions on abortions will cause more women to have negative health uh, consequences so how, uh, as a result of pregnancy. How does this affect black women disproportionately? Well, it, it affects poor women and disproportionately women of color and black women are uh, are poor. Mm-hmm. And so black women already are dying at three times the rate of white women during pregnancy. So this is going to disproportionately even further impact black women. And then carrying an unwanted pregnancy to term quadruples the odds of future poverty for that family. Mm -hmm. And so those who are forced to do that, who are already poor and can't afford to travel to states that allow abortion, again, they're going to be disproportionately impacted. Is it because of prenatal care and things like that, that uh, a lot of women of color are having uh, complicated um, pregnancies? It's more than that. Um, Women of color, especially black women, because of racism, microaggressions, have higher levels of stress, therefore higher levels of chronic diseases or predisposed to things like high blood pressure and diabetes and pregnancy. It's a lack of access to care. And it's also um, poor communication on the part of doctors, biases and prejudice on the part of doctors, not listening to black women when they voice that they have concerns or pain or problems during their pregnancy. So it's multiple factors. I got to ask you as a man, because I really don't know at what stage is it when a woman knows that she is pregnant? When, when does your body let you know? Is it five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks? It it depends because women can have pregnancy, can have uh, periods throughout their pregnancy. Um, some women might not know up until the time that it's time to deliver, especially if they're mm. um, if they're if they're young and they don't know their bodies very well. So it it, it varies, and so of course, if they don't go for prenatal tests, uh, prenatal care, uh, or get a pregnancy test, it's going to be for some women 
mm-hmm. um, more difficult to know that. Because I think I read, and I, and I, I stand corrected if I'm wrong here, but I, I thought in Florida they were trying to sign some legislation that says six weeks, six weeks, um, <laughs> which seems to me awfully early for you to know if you're pregnant or not. It is, especially, like I said, some women continue to have uh, periods throughout their pregnancy. So for some women, it's impossible to even know that they're pregnant at six weeks. Um, For people like in the state of Texas and all all these southern states where they are banning abortions, are there alternatives for ladies that that really do need to terminate a pregnancy? The only real alternative is traveling to a state where uh, pregnancies... uh, uh, where abortions are allowed later mm-hmm. in pregnancy or mm-hmm. all the way up, you know, past the third uh, trimester. Right. For example, states like North Carolina have seen a huge spike in the number of abortions because their laws allow abortions uh, later in the mm-hmm. continuum of pregnancy compared to some of the surrounding states. Gotcha. Thank you so much, Dr. Mail. I will talk to you next week. All right. Have a great week. All right. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Yes, he's on the right. I'm on the left. And of course, uh, well, Nimrata Ranhawa uh, just announced that uh, she is going to run for president of the United States of America. Of course, you know that, right? And you're saying. No, I don't know that. Yeah, Nimrata is Nikki Haley. I don't know why she's not going. Yeah, I know with Nikki name. Haley. Oh, okay. Because here's and the issue. Respect, I'm going to call her by the name that she's chosen for herself. Okay, I'm going to do that. Uh, George Santos, out of respect for him, what are you going to call him? Or any uh, any Paulina Luna, who uh, who is a Mexican, who basically says she's Jewish. Can, can I don't know if this is all. Is Nikki this Haley yeah, instead of trivializing her? Because here's the Can't issue. Some respect. I, I, I'll give her respect in just one second. My problem is is that you guys have identity politics problem on the right side. It's like you don't want to you don't want to cop to your identity. If you're not going to tell us who you are, how can I trust you to vote for things that are going to help my community? I, I don't get that. You know, Donald Trump. That's even not his that's, real name. You you're hiding you know from what? something. I, I, as trusted media people as we are, we should be here to inform people, not to entertain them. I'm not trying to entertain. I'm making a valid point. You don't want to dismiss it. And that's exactly what you're doing. It's, you're it's dismissing the fact it, relevant, it is irrelevant, irrelevant when you've got that politics. She that she's running for the presidency. They're, they're lying about who they are. What, what else are they going to lie about? That's Can the we problem. Talk about Nikki Haley? All right, we'll talk about Namrata. Okay. Basically, she is running for president. And I wonder, does she have a shot against Donald Trump? Um, listen, she will run a highly conventional campaign. There will be a number, number of other candidates with a stronger, stronger case to represent generational change. I think in a pretty brutal uh, world, there is no clear rationale, rationale, some people would say, for her candidacy. Um, the, um, she was a two-term governor, former ambassador to the UN. But she, and, and I think she should be taken seriously. I mean, she's more than just a woman. Um, she is someone that has done very well for South Carolina. She had a stellar record as ambassador to the UN. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact is that she said to Donald Trump that she would never run against him as long as he's running. And now that he's running, she's using his age as a fact as to why she's running. Mm-hmm. And at 51 years old, you can look at the 2024 race and think she can repeat some kind of a, a upset. And I think her speech was heavy on the theme of a new generation which has the advantage of working against both Trump, who will be 78 next year, and Biden, who will turn 82 after the election. And so I think most of what Nikki Haley is emphasizing is a throwback to the pre-Trump GOP. But she is not above Trump-style trolling. 
And I think one of the few Pacific policies in her speech was mandatory mental competency tests for politicians mm-hmm. over 75 years old. Well, you and know, so, uh, and, I, and people are going to question her, her mental capacity when you one minute, I love Donald Trump. Next minute, uh, yeah, he's the worst. She has flip flopped so much on him. So I'm wondering how many policy positions is she going to flip flop on? I don't know. I mean, she did some ageism stuff right there. Now, if you and I did that, somebody's like ageism. You know, that's what she just did to Trump and Biden. So but nobody is criticizing her for that. Well, I think, um, you know, I um, ran out the Carson's campaign. I think Carson and Cain, Herman Cain could be instructed for uh, Miss Haley because they were black candidates who decried what Republicans now call wokeism. And they received a rapturous response from the party's primary voters who are overwhelmingly white. But as an inexperienced outsiders to politics, neither could cope with the sustained scrutiny and attacks that came with their search surge in the polls. And I think that Nikki Haley will get a surge in the polls, but I don't think it will, it will sustain the scrutiny of the attacks that will come after her. Well, it's just annoying, you know, to hear Republicans talk about woke this, woke that. We're just trying to get you to wake up. And that's 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 what wokeism is all about. Uh, understand your other constituents other than the people that fit your purview. That's all I'm saying. You know, listen, she's the first minority female governor in history. And I think she's the fact that she's never lost a race. She has some momentum building for her. We just see how long it lasts. Give her a chance. Well, I'm going to give her a chance because I do think she's qualified. I just I just wish these people would own up to who they are. Haley sounds very Anglo to me. Army, I appreciate it. That's Armstrong Williams. He's on the right. I'm Russ Parham on the left. And that's what's your point. Well, if you guys get an opportunity, you got to listen to the Russ Parr Morning Show. And, of course, uh, you can go to at Russ Parr's World or Russ Parr's Show or go to the Russ Parr Morning Show, uh, dot com to actually hear the show live Monday through Friday. It's always a lot of fun. And we do a little comedy every now and then. And it's always important that we put a little smile on your face. You know, we do all these little deep topics, but we do have some fun. Like when we talked to Beyonce. There was a big brouhaha about some pastor that went viral. That basically was slamming Beyonce and especially the Renaissance album. Thought it was vulgar, vile, and all these other things. And then the pastor was shown on uh, social media years ago how she went to a a, a Beyonce concert and said it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was surfboarding and everything. Yeah. Huh? So <laughs> as promised, on the phone line right now, y'all, I have um, I, I have our girl Beyonce because I think it's time that she needs to defend herself about her lyrics. How you doing, Beyonce? I'm doing amazing. How are you, Russ? I'm just fine. So you heard about the controversy about that uh, pastor. The lady was basically saying that you're not a Christian if you go to a Beyonce concert. And then eventually uh, we found out that um, she uh, <laughs> has gone to your concert before and said you were amazing. But uh, I don't know. She just thinks now that you've gotten a little bit more suggestive in your lyrics and they're kind of nasty. Would you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that at all. Really? Well, let's just go over uh, some of your lyrics, if you don't mind. In the song Heated, you say, dimples on my hip, stretch marks on my breast, drinking my water, minding my biz. Monday, I'm overrated. Tuesday, I'm on my D. You know the word. That's from that song Heated. Uh, What what, what was that all about? Well, um, you know, with everybody body shaming everyone, uh, I just wanted to let everybody know it's Amazing as I am, I still have stretch marks on my titties. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that's what it was. All right, so you go on to say, Monday, I'm overrated. Tuesday, I'm on my D. It's kind of clear to a lot of people you're talking about a male appendage. That doesn't actually mean that. Um, oh. If you actually, D is for um, dairy. 
And uh, oh, dairy. I, exactly, because you know I'm I'm vegan. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's go to another song here. Uh, an alien superstar. You say I got diamonds beneath my thighs, where his ego will find bliss. Oh wow! Mm. What's that all about? No, no. Um, well, Jay had bought me some diamonds, uh-huh. and they fell out of my ear and landed in my lap. Oh. And so that is the reason why I wrote them to you. Oh, and, and the bliss comes in where he found them. He was happy he didn't lose that money, right? Is that what we're talking about here? Exactly, because he spent a lot of money. Exactly. Okay. Uh, how about the song Cuff It? Hypersonic, sex erotic, on my body. Boy, you got it. Hit them drawlicks while I ride it. Got me acting hella thotty. Oh. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, that was because Jay had bought me a new motorcycle. Oh. Um, <laughs> and we were riding it and... You know, I, I was I was feeling good. I was feeling great. So it's about a motorcycle. Wow. You guys riding your motorcycles. Okay. okay. Got that. That right. works. Uh, plastic on the Sofa, that song. Why would you sing about plastic on your love seat? I don't want anybody's not rich ass on my sofa. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Not wanting somebody's right. riches. Okay. Ass on your sofa. I, that makes exactly. all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Virgo's Groove. Motorboat babies spin around, slow-mo coming out of my blouse. Wow. Also in Virgo's groove, taste me, that fleshy part. I scream so loud, I curse the stars. Whoa. That one was about a steak. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh. I was talking about steak. Steak, okay. Yes, that one was not about me. That was actually about steak. Okay, so oh. the part where you scream so loud, is it because it was so good? It was amazing. It was the most amazing steak I had ever had. Gotcha. This lady had you all wrong. I'm glad you clarified your lyrics. Beyonce, thank you so much. And and I'm looking forward to paying $800 to see you. Absolutely. I'll get you a discount. We do 25% um, non-refundable discounts just for you. Just for me. Thank you so much, Beyonce. You have a great day. All right. I'm clear now. I don't know about y'all. I'm, I thought I'm she was confused. vegan. I'm, I'm confused. confused. Yeah, I'm, she liked steak. I mean, I'm steak. a little confused, and now when I dance But I understand it, where she's going. Some... She's talking about steak. Okay. Oh. On the line right now, Judge Toller, whenever you need some common sense spoken to you, uh, you can turn on just about any show, and she's going to be on there, <laughs> giving her POV. Uh, but commit or quit. And, of course, that's on WeTV. Uh, first of all, I just want to say good morning to you, uh, Judge Toller. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm just fabulous. I mean, I, we Commit or Quit is one of those shows that we DVR. My wife and I we we have a night where we watch all of our favorite shows. That's one of them. Marriage Boot Camp. Uh, you name it. Anything that you're on, you've made it a lot better. So I just want to say that. Uh, the well, se- thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. The season finale tonight. Uh, you are coming back for another season. I hope. I should hope so. It depends on how many of y'all watch it. Right. It's a good show. It really is a good show. I mean, you you get to sit up and watch people um, do their everyday thing. And then, of course, uh, you provide your wisdom as to whether they can stay together or not. Um, has there ever been an instance where you told people to quit and they just like, OK, uh, yeah, we're going to stay. Never mind what the judge said. Well, they said they were going to quit. She moved out. And like when a week later, she moved back in. You know, the show is about that situationship that you can't get out of. People can be dating for six and seven years. They can't decide to put up or shut up. Mm-hmm. And in helping them do that, I try to teach everybody some lessons about how to be successfully together. And Commit or Quit was kind of like an answer to 
when I'm on marriage boot camp, everybody says, why can't you do what you do for people on marriage boot camp for regular people? So commit a quit was my attempt to do just that. Right. You know, you have such a world experience because I sit up and I listen to uh, some of the bits and nuggets of information that you give people. And I know you can't possibly have gone through all that. Are, are you trained in psychology? I know you have a doctorate in law. Uh, but not to say that you have to be trained, but, uh, is that something that you've like studied or, you know, or is just, just life experiences where you'd be able to shed this information with people or share it? There, there are a lot of different levels to how I, I, I got to be able to know what I know. Number one is I had a very emotionally intelligent mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was very good at reading people and she taught me all through my life about how to take my emotions out of the situation and read other people. Then I went on to a municipal court. Municipal court is when reg- regular people do a wrong thing. They're not rapists. They're, they're, it's domestic violence. Mm-hmm. It's assault. It's neighbor's argument. So you learn there for 10 years because I would arrange 75 people in one morning. So mm-hmm. you talk to people and you learn and understand. And then my mother would come to court and tell me where I screwed up. Mm. Uh, because <laughs> I do not. Oh, yeah. She said, let me tell you what you did wrong, baby. <laughs> I remember that perfectly. I had been, I had, I was uh, sentencing somebody on a domestic violence case, and I gave him what some uh, some judges call the acid rain dance. I yelled at him and sent him in, and she went back there, and she said, let me tell you what you did wrong. She said, uh, he's in jail for six months thinking about that B he hit and that other B that sent him to jail, mm. and he hasn't learned anything. I said, when you have, a, you have a singular opportunity to speak to people, and you have to speak to people in a way that they know you understand their point of view, mm-hmm. you start where other people are and you slowly walk them home. So between my time on the bench, my time with my mother, and also I do a great deal of reading about the psychology mm-hmm. of emotion and people, and my sister's a, a brain doctor, a neurologist who's interested in that as well. Wow. So I'm just keep learning all the time yeah. so I can refine what it is I don't know. Well, you know, I'd like to say it is a gift because for, for you to be able to uh, to relate and uh, and give information that's beneficial to people. Because you can watch something like on Commit a Quit or, uh, or Marriage Boot Camp, and you may be dealing with something similar to that. And usually your words of wisdom covers all those bases. I also wanted to talk to you before I let you go. Um, uh, I, I really just wanted to get your opinion and, and how you feel and how you feel that women are going to be affected by Roe versus Wade being struck down. Oh, I, I think that abortion will continue. They, they will just be unsafe. Uh, and I think that um, legislatures are going to have to uh, deal with it on the local level. I think it's going to invite possibly a, a, a it will, I think, stop up some of the red waves mm-hmm. because I think women are going to vote their 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 autonomy, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to change. It's going to be ugly in the beginning, but we are going to figure out a way to get past it because too many women are going to be too hurt too often. Absolutely, to let it to let it stand the way it is. Commit or quit with Judge Toller. Uh, Judge, thank you. It's just been an honor talking to you, and I will be continuing to watch you because uh, I think anything I can steal from you and share with other people and, and take credit for it, that's just what I'm going to do. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye now. Uh-huh. On the phone line, ladies and gentlemen, he is a uh, Georgetown University professor. He's a law professor, MSNBC legal analyst, author of Chokehold, Policing Black Men, and one of the sharpest legal minds on television, Paul Butler. How are you doing this morning, sir? 
I'm good. Hey, so listen, Paul, um, of course, you know, the other day during the um, hearings, um, you know, people are going, how much more do they need to indict the former president of the United States? Is what he's doing other than having a super temper tantrum against the law? Uh, how many laws is it against? Um, at least uh, three federal laws, obstruction of a, of, of a official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and sedition, using violence to try to overthrow the government. Because, Russ, what we heard yesterday was that Trump wanted to join the angry mob. He wanted to incite the insurrection at the scene of the crime and... He knew that these people were armed and dangerous, and he was more concerned about protecting them than he was the vice president. There was like a, a metal detector, and he was Trump was told these people they're not they can't come into this perimeter, the security perimeter where you're speaking, Mr. President, because they're armed and dangerous. Trump said, "Oh, they're not going to hurt me. Let them in." Mm. Because it's about yeah, optics for him. It's, it's optics. He has this um, weird fetish about crowd sizes and things like that. So, the, I mean, it, I think that whole move, because they're now trying to discredit this lady, Chastity Hutchinson, saying there's no way that Trump lunged at the driver because in the beast, there's so much of equipment, there's no way he can get to it. Well, it turns out they weren't driving in the beast. They were driving in a regular SUV. And personally, uh, just for me to speculate, is that I think that was all show for Trump. That's part of an act. Hey, look, it's going to get back to everybody that I tried to get out there and I tried to go at my own security. I I thought that was a big act because I I think he's fraudulent, but that's my personal opinion. But I have to ask you, at some point, you know, with all the testimony and these people are, are testifying under oath, I want you to explain to the audience what happens when you lie when you're under uh, under oath. Uh, you can go to jail unless you're the president of the United States. And again, Trump was careful to about what he said under oath. But federal prosecutors take lying to the FBI or lying when you're sworn to tell the truth very seriously. So the cliche in D.C. is it's always the cover-up. But if there's witness intimidation or Trump or his folks are trying to get people not to talk or not to tell the truth, that's even more criminal exposure. Which we found out um, the other day also that they were basically intimidating witnesses. Uh, So I have to ask you, uh, people are really frustrated with uh, 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 Mr. Garland. Uh, The DOJ, if they do nothing, do, do they have enough that the DOJ can go, okay, uh, it's time to really indict some people. Do they have enough on Trump? Yeah, so Russ, here are the two considerations for the Attorney General of the United States. The first is they definitely have enough right now to prosecute Trump. The question is, could they get a jury to convict? That means they'd have to persuade 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. I think there's enough evidence You know, I think they're also a little bit concerned because there's never been a prosecution of a president for a crime. But the other question is, is a prosecution in the best interest of the country? Even if you think Trump did it, would a prosecution be so divisive that it just wouldn't be worth it? And I think that with this testimony that we heard yesterday, again, this isn't some crime committed on paper. This is blood and gore. We're talking about 
knives and guns that the president authorized. And mm-hmm. so when you think about the public interest here, come on, man. Yeah. No person is supposed to be above the law. Exactly. What would the message be if Trump was allowed to get away with this? Mm. So if you're a betting man, you think that charges are on their way? Um, it's up to Merrick Garland. It's up to the attorney general. I certainly think that he should charge. You know, he calls himself an institutionalist. At this point, if you're that concerned about the Justice Department and its reputation, as you certainly should be, you have to prosecute. Because if you don't, you send a message again that some people can get away with insurrection, with incitement, with sedition. Paul Butler, Georgetown University law professor, MSNBC legal analyst. You see him all the time. The dude is absolutely brilliant. Also the author of Chokehold Policing Black Men. Thank you so much for your time, man. It's invaluable, man. I really appreciate you educating us. Always my pleasure. All right, Paul. My brother. Take care, bro. Well, there it is. The Russ Podcast. Make sure you guys tune in right here on the Urban One Podcast Network. Every week we got great shows. The Russ Podcast. Y'all take care.